This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 281. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Matthew Marister. Hey, man. I'm just uh, thrilled to be here with you guys. Yeah. As always. Of course, man. That's yeah. Actually, the honor is all mine. <laughs> right. You know, I'm lucky to be graced with your presence. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. We'll, we'll keep it. <laughs> So, folks, welcome. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the, the 281st episode of the podcast, this being our news episode for the week. We've got a whole bunch of stories. We've got stories out of California, New Jersey, uh, Washington State. Surprise, surprise there. It's been talked about a lot. Uh, Ohio. we got a big update from Ohio. Uh, and actually, I should ask, Matthew, has there been any further update on that? In other words, has the governor taken action on on that issue yet? Uh y- not physical action, but definitely posturing. So, okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll fill you in on what that is, although if you're in Ohio, chances are you know about it already. Uh, we've got a great list of justified save stories. There's actually a, a number of really great stories I'm looking forward to getting into with all of you. Uh, so, But first, today's episode is brought to you by... We have the 12 Days of Christmas giveaway going on right now at ConcealedCarry.com. It is, it's going very well. People are super, super stoked about it. Uh, let me just tell you, each day, now it's been going on for a few days already. We're about halfway through. We're on day six, today being the 14th of December. Uh, so it's not too late to get in on this and be a potential winner. We've already announced a number of winners of the giveaway. We've still got... Day seven, eight, all the way up through 12. And so what's still coming up in these giveaways is a free Mantis X shooting system, a set of new bold, six of them, uh, plate. It's basically a plate rack kit. Uh, it's really, really cool. Uh, we've got the Stealth Gear USA bundle. We've got next level training cert pistol. That, that's still on the table. Uh, and that's your choice of, of, of model. And we've got, let's see, a $1,000 Sports of Field Tactical LZ safe. It's really that's great. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wish I could win that one. But unfortunately, right? employees are not eligible. So, <laughs> and then <laughs> Resign. also. Yeah. <laughs> And then also on the last day, we're giving away an Honor Defense Honor Guard 9mm pistol. Uh, that's super exciting as well. That'll have a, a custom Cerakote uh, job on it. And Michael says he's still waiting to win. I'm, I know, buddy. Hey, you know, make sure you keep entering. And, folks, the way you enter, by the way, is you need to make sure you have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app installed on your mobile device. And on that, you or within that, you got to make sure your notifications are enabled because what we're doing is we're sending out each day notifications uh, that gives you basically the link of where to sign in or sign up. And so that's that's what you got to do. So make sure you got the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Go to whether it's, if it's Apple, go to the Apple iStore or Apple Store or whatever it is, right? And search Concealed Carry. You can just search Concealed Carry. We pretty much come up as like the number one or two or three search result. But make sure you, you find the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app and download it. Enable your notifications. 
and then you'll get the notifications each day for the last remaining six days of this giveaway. In fact, we're seven minutes away from one of these notifications going out. So, because they go, they go out at noon. So, folks, you're watching the podcast right now. Hopefully, you're not on your phone because I want you to make sure you're still watching the podcast. But uh, <laughs> anyway, go to hmm. concealedcarry.com forward slash twelve days one two d a y s, and make sure you download the app. If you're <laughs> for those that are live on Facebook, you got like seven minutes to go do that now, and you can get today's notification, and then you'll be able to join, sign up and join in on all the fun and the giveaways and, and have a chance of being a lucky winner. Um, if you're an Android device user, then you go to your uh, Google Play Store and same thing. Just search Concealed Carry. You should be able to find the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Get it downloaded and make sure those notifications are active. All right? So exciting stuff. Uh, it's been really fun to see all the winners and, and they've been super excited about getting their stuff. We've already given away a bunch of great, great stuff. Today's giveaway. So not actually what's being uh, announced today. So it's it's kind of maybe confusing. So today is day six, the 14th of December. And uh, we so we are giving away, today's giveaway is for 500 rounds of 223 ammo. But but okay. the winner the winner is not announced till tomorrow if that makes sense so basically today's yeah. notification that goes out will go out at noon, uh, mountain time that is, and then you have a twenty four hour window to get in you know signed up, okay for today's prize right does that make sense so today's prize is the five hundred rounds of ammo, and it starts at noon mountain time, where you sign up till noon tomorrow. And then tomorrow at 3 p.m. Mountain Time is when we announce today's prize winner. Does that make sense? And then so today at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, we're announcing the winner for yesterday's giveaway, which was the Reckoning Holster and Executive Belt from Crossbreed, which mm-hmm. is really cool. It's $140 value. Uh, so you still have five minutes as of now to sign up <laughs> for that giveaway. And then at 3 p.m. today, Mountain Time, you uh, you'll find out who if you're the lucky winner or not. So anyway, so we so we actually technically st- you still have a chance if you're listening live right now to get in on the fifth day prize. So there's actually still seven prizes available after this. Uh, but if you're listening to the podcast only feed, uh, you might be a day or two late. So hopefully you haven't missed too much. But just know that there's still we still have an awesome safe, a gun, training products, stealth gear, USA bundle, lots of great stuff. All right. So more of the story, just sign up. Yep. Make sure you do it. <laughs> sign up now um let's see oh yes one other thing <laughs> i got distracted for a moment the today's episode is also brought to you by the 2018 traveler's guide uh we've got still some of these in the warehouse uh, yes it's the 2018 version so uh, you might be thinking in two weeks it's going to be out of date that's not necessarily true because you'd be su- surprised that a lot of the significant lo- legal changes surrounding concealed carry and the laws and stuff, they, they don't just change all that often, especially where it comes to like use of force. Uh, Ohio right now is waiting on Governor Kasich to, to sign this, this bill that will change in a significant way some core components of their uh, justified use of force law. Uh, but that doesn't come around all that often. Uh, reciprocity does change somewhat. Now, one good news is by downloading and making sure you have our app is you can use the the laws feature that's contained in the app and make you know that's one way you can continue to get updates because we we update that continuously. 
But the guide, the traveler's guide is still really useful and handy because you can throw it in the car. It's always there with you. And it also goes into a little bit more detail on, on a few things for on, on state by state basis. And, and here's the other thing. It's 2018 edition. 2019, we have a legislative session coming up. Chances are, if anything is passed, a lot of times that stuff doesn't go into effect for six, eight, nine months, sometimes even longer. So, you know, a lot of the information in there is still, still valid. Anyway, the point is, we have these priced to just get them out the door. We still have a few of them left, and we need to, we need to get rid of them. So uh, go check it out, concealedcarry.com forward slash law guide. We'll get you there. Uh, I think they're on sale right now for... Uh, 10 bucks or something like that. So, and, and, you know, yeah, go, go grab a copy. That's, that's, that's a steal. Uh, they, we barely get them for that price as a, you know, wholesale or from the wholesaler. So anyway, concealedcarry.com forward slash law guide, go get a copy. Uh, it'll be helpful for you. I, 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 lo- I keep one in my truck as well. Uh, it's very hand- handy to have. All right, let's jump into today's, uh, stories, Matthew. Uh, let's see here. First up, we've got a story out of California. Breitbart.com reports California Democrats push handgun semi-automatic rifle tax to fund gun control. I've been talking a lot, so why don't you tell us what's up with this in California? Yeah, so, well, before we start, um, you want to do the case of the week or you want to oh, start geez. on this? Did I jump over the case of the week? Yeah. You I was so excited about all this time. other stuff. <laughs> Doggone it. Well, if you want, we, we can get into this, but <laughs> Andrew Brinkham might say, Hey, what are you forgetting? About oh me? boy. Yeah. Uh, let's do this week's case of the week. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This case of the week involves a recent deadly confrontation between a black FedEx driver who got into a dispute with and ultimately killed an angry man who was repeatedly shouting racial epithets at the driver. Prosecutors have decided against bringing charges against the driver despite the death of the victim. And based on the facts as reported, that appears to be the legally correct decision. More specifically for our purposes, the facts of the conflict as reported appear to be a case study in the element of proportionality. The conflict appears to have begun when the victim started shouting racial epithets at the black FedEx driver. As anyone who has taken my instruction knows, I advocate not getting into fights you don't need to get into, and I would discourage folks from getting into fights over insults. That said, when the FedEx driver responded to the verbal aggression of the victim, the driver limited himself to a verbal response. Thus, his response was proportional. All good as far as self-defense law is concerned. The driver is the non-aggressor, so the element of innocence, check. The verbal aggression is actually taking place, so we've met the element of imminence. The driver's response is proportional, so the element of proportionality is met. And where this took place in Oregon, it's a stand-your-ground state, so the element of avoidance doesn't apply. And finally, there's nothing particularly unreasonable about a black person returning verbal heat to someone throwing racial insults, so we can check the element of reasonableness. Next, the confrontation escalated from the verbal to the physical. But the physical aggressor was once again the victim. He threw a punch at the FedEx driver, who responded with his own punch to the victim's face. 
Again, the driver was not the physical aggressor, element of innocence. Physical attack was actually taking place, element of imminence. The driver's non-deadly force, the return punch, was a response to non-deadly aggression, so it was proportional. Element of proportionality is met. Avoidance doesn't apply because Oregon is stand your ground. And again, there's nothing unreasonable about returning a punch with a punch in self-defense to stop the attack upon you. Now, things do go sideways at this point because as it happens, the driver's punch proved fatal and the victim fell to the ground where he likely struck his head and died of his injuries. Does the fact that the victim died mean that the driver inappropriately used deadly defensive force against the victim's non-deadly force attack? Or, as the linked article suggests, that the driver inappropriately used deadly defensive force in response to racist insults? No. Just because the victim of a force dies doesn't mean that force necessarily qualifies as deadly force for legal purposes. It obviously does for physical purposes, but that's not our concern in the legal analysis. In this instance, there's no evidence that the driver either intended or expected his defensive punch to cause death or serious bodily injury. And as a matter of general principle, a thrown punch is reasonably expected to constitute merely non-deadly defensive force. In this instance, then, the victim simply got unlucky. As always, I urge folks to not get into fights at all if they have a safe means of avoiding it. But once engaged, if you can stay well within the bounds of lawful self-defense, you can make yourself an extremely unattractive target of prosecution and awfully hard to convict. And that's the position the FedEx driver put himself in in this case. Hey folks, I also want to remind you about our Christmas extravaganza sale. We're offering 30 to 60% off our most popular books and DVDs. These make great gifts and they're available on individual products as well as high value bundles of products. The last day to order in time for Christmas delivery is December 14th. To learn more, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Christmas. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. So uh, that's a great case from uh, Andrew. I like the points he brings up there. Uh, This is a, I like the lessons to be learned from that case. And here's why. Uh, Number one, it's, it's partly because it's one of those cases that could kind of go either way. Like, you know, you got two parties, right? One guy basically starts an argument. The other guy, and it seems like it's a little bit racially motivated, right? That That's beside the point, but guy starts argument, right? Other guy responds, right? Says, hey, that's not cool, bro. <laughs> Don't say that sort of, you know, like it's obviously this is verbal altercation. Original guy, you know, guy that started the argument in the first place takes a swing. So dude that just is trying to defend himself swings back. Makes, you know, makes contact. Other guy goes down. 
hits head, whatever, dies. I mean, can you, uh, the shock, first of all, I mean, is if you're just standing there like, uh, what just happened? Like he tried to hit me. I just went to defend myself. Now he's dead. Pretty, pretty intense stuff, right? Well, imagine that you're actually the guy that dies, right? And you do something stupid. You start this altercation uh-huh. and you know, you, like, you could see this kind of, you could see, like, imagine you're a concealed carrier. No one, neither one of these guys had a, by the way, this is kind of the point of the case. Neither one of these guys had a gun on them, right? It was just a, it started as a verbal altercation, moved up to a physical altercation. Uh, but just imagine that you're a guy that has a gun on you and it goes like this. Now on both sides of the, of the aisle or, or of the issue. And the reason I bring this up like this is because this situation, this case that Andrew just shared, is very similar to that one in Florida, where you had the guy creating some sort of verbal altercation over a parking space, mm-hmm. and the gentleman that gets shot is the one actually coming out to defend himself and his wife or girlfriend or whatever, right? And... Now he so it, but it, it is a little different. Obviously, the facts are different because it's a verbal altercation. The man that comes out to defend his woman, he turns it into a physical altercation. But then, the guy that started the whole affair, he draws his gun and fires a shot. Right? You see how like these kind of situations are so interesting and sticky. Like they are just they are sticky because there's it's it you know. It can just get out of hand so quickly. So the words of advice that Andrew gave in the very beginning is is to avoid the conflict in the first place, right? Yeah. This guy is being verbally abusive towards you or a loved one. Well, you know, you do have a choice. You can, and it can be perceived as reasonable to, to defend that uh, as long as you do so with reasonable means. But you could also just, you know what, turn a blind eye, walk away. Yeah. Right. I, I like Tristram's uh, comment in the comments. He says, uh, you can't lose the fight that you never get into. And that, I mean, that's why that's, that's being wise. You know what I mean? You, you, you don't, there's, there's certain times you can't avoid getting into a fight. Right. And, and you can't avoid the situation, but at all means, by all means, you should try to, um, you know, who knows if this guy has a son or daughter or wife, husband, but you know, um, it, it's a it, it his life didn't have to end uh, you know um yeah but he engaged in a fight that he didn't know what the outcome was going to be and this could have easily been the guy pulls out a knife and stabs him or you know it, it just happened to be a punch but the end result is the same like you can you can actually die just from getting into a little argument with somebody is if that's worth it to you then you know maybe your life isn't worth it much to you but if it if you, if it is, then you try to avoid situations like this. Yep. Yeah. And actually Dan here, uh, wow, that's really big. Uh, what I just put on the screen, cause it's a big statement. He just said here, he says the story I read on William April's page stated, uh, that the driver threw a cup at the racist guy. If so, the, so the guy responding to the initial, uh, verbal, you know, threat or whatever you want to call it. Uh, he, he said, or he apparently initially threw a cup. Now Andrew didn't talk about that. I don't know if it's because I don't know. Sometimes he sometimes these analysis he does is from news stories, similar to the way we do some of our justified safe cases. But um, uh, I don't know if 
it, it, I don't know that it would have necessarily changed uh, the facts of the case or not. Uh, he says, uh, so Dan, going on with what Dan is saying here, if you're within punching distance, throwing something at someone's face looks a lot like striking. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad the driver wasn't charged, but a prosecutor could easily decide that throwing at the cup was the first overt physical act and that the racist guy was defending himself from that force. Um, it, that could be true, right? And that's why some of these cases are sticky. But at the end of the day, I mean, the guy that started the verbal altercation also kind of started something. And, you know, so I don't know. There's that's that's where we get into a lot of prosecutorial discretion. And, you know, that's why we share a lot of just we share a lot of justified save cases where the the good guy and the good guy is, the, you know, is the guy, that, you know, was minding his own business or was just chilling at his home and something happens. But a lot of times the good guys make mistakes in those cases. We're going to share a few of them here today. In fact, one of them is an example where it's a legit use of force, of deadly force, but then it describes that person continuing to fire long after the threat has left the scene, like continues to fire at them as they are leaving, very clearly leaving. So once again, you know, it doesn't look like that person's getting charged with anything. There's some discretion being used by prosecutors, and, and and that's something we have to understand and realize as well. All right, we got to move along. Uh, so California, <laughs> back to All this story. Right. Democrats yeah. push handgun semi-automatic rifle tax to fund gun control. This is not the first time it's been tried, by the way, where, where a tax has tried to be, to be implemented as a funding mechanism to, uh, you know, on, on gun control uh, laws or, or measures. Yeah, so so wonderful. Jerry Brown um, is uh, probably well. He's on he, his way out. Yeah, he's he's on his way out. So this, I mean, this may or may not affect him. He may have time to to sign this if it were to pass the House and Senate. But uh, the Assembly Bill in in uh, California, Assembly Bill eighteen, would basically charge a tax on handguns and rifles to. F- fund um, the Violence Intervention and Prevention Grant Program, which is, I mean, I'm all for the the, the grant program trying to, you know, it, it's designed to help um, try to intervene and, and give um, uh, different, uh, you know, way of approaching uh, violence in the community and, and how people are kind of desensitized towards it. And that's great. Um, they said from 2014 to 16, gun homicides increased by 18%. This is in California. Um, and in, in the same statement, they say, um, although California has the toughest gun laws in the nation. So they're, they're, they're saying that they have the toughest gun laws in the nation. But even so, they're saying we have an increase of 18% in our gun homicides. So these laws don't aren't working enough. What we're, what we want to do is tax law-abiding citizens and put a burden on them to fund a program that would help diminish or or hope to diminish uh, violence. So, but it's not across the board. It's just aimed at people who own firearms. So it's like, I I don't, you know, if they put a tax on every single, you know, they increase their, their sales tax by, you know, 0.2% and said, Hey, you know, everybody wants this and we're going to fund these programs. And everybody in California said, Hey, we think it's got a good job. Uh, go for it. But if you signal single out, you know, one group of people to pay for something, basically they're saying law abiding citizens that own firearms, this is your fault. Yeah. And and we have to tax you so 
you know, the government, we can fix your problem, which is, which is totally, which is totally bogus. So, um, you know, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's California. So you never know. This is interesting. Uh, this is a statement from, uh, I, from the bill itself, from bill, from this AB mm-hmm. 18. Okay. So listen to the ridiculousness of this. Although California has the toughest gun laws in the nation, more effort is necessary to curtail gun violence. The Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation found that from 2018 to 2016, gun homicides increased 18%. And I can I can personally vouch for that. I've been looking at California statistics uh, the last few weeks. And yes, you see that rise in crime. Never mind the fact that their laws also have been getting stricter in the last you know number of years. Therefore, California needs to bolster violence prevention initiatives so that they are commensurate with the state's gun laws and the violence prevention programs of other states. No idea. So, what that so means. They, they 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 point out to the they point out the fact that California has the toughest gun laws in the nation, or at least some of them. But our violence problem is still a problem. Hmm, what mm-hmm. is that? And so that we can help address that, we must have this tax. So that we can better fund our our initiatives to bring right. you know things more, in, and it also talks about other states' programs, and we you know like no one else is using some kind of funding mechanism like this to fund anti-gun programs, or no. and they're not saying anti-gun; they're saying anti-gun violence, anti-violence right. programs. <laughs> what what's amazing is that they're resistant to see and acknowledge the fact that even with the toughest gun laws in the nation, it's not fixing the violence issue. No, we know they're separate. Chicago knows that very well. Many other, uh, Washington, D.C. knows that very well. In fact, as D.C. has loosened some of their laws, meaning, you know, now you can get a permit there. It's it's very, a very lengthy and difficult process, but crime has not suddenly skyrocketed because gun rights and gun ownership got a little bit easier in D.C., right? If anything, things maybe have gotten a little better. Anyway... So yeah, there's there's way more to it than than uh, what uh, these these politicians think uh, or mm-hmm. what they're willing to admit. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I think AB uh, 109 that released a bunch of uh, supposedly nonviolent parolees back in. I think that went into effect in 2012. Um, so this is you know right around that time frame. And then they say there's an increase in you know gun violent crimes. It'd be interesting to see you know who's who's actually. Who's actually getting arrested for these crimes? Are they repeat offenders? Are they parolees that should have been in prison but were released under AB 109? Or are these just like, you know, average citizens who bought a gun and flipped out? I don't think it's the latter. So, you know, they conveniently kind of forget that kind of part to, 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 you know, because it doesn't fit their narrative. Yep. You got it. So, you know, when we talk about being against more gun regulation, more gun control. And we use the argument, we're concerned about a slippery slope. Washington State is now a perfect example of this because according to the NRA ILA, Washington anti-gun group announces 2019 agenda. On on December 5th, the Alliance for Gun Responsibility, a group backed by out-of-state organizations as well, such as Everytown USA and so forth, 
<clears throat> they have announced a whole nother slew of gun control initiatives and legislate and legislation uh, in the wake of just passing initiative 1639, right? Which was hailed as being this grand, awesome plan. This initiative 1639 was supposed to fix all sorts of problems, but that was not, that was not good enough. Apparently Matthew standard Mm -hmm. magazine capacity ban. They want to limit magazine capacities down to, I, I believe 10 rounds government mandated training to obtain your permit. Washington currently does not have a a mandate uh, on that. Abolish state preemption so that states and counties can pass whatever laws they want about Second Amendment and just ignore anything in the state constitution and stuff. Remove Second Amendment rights without due process. Impose a firearm prohibition for any person who has been released from a 72-hour mental health evaluation. So just because you got put in a temporary hold, and by the way, they don't release you from those 72-hour holds unless there's like a, like, like they're 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 going to hold you if you legitimately have a mental health issue, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, that 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 seventy two hour window is there so they can evaluate you and then make a determination. Yeah, this person needs help, or well, yeah, there may be some issues, but they're they're you know there's there's a, there's a bar that has to be crossed uh, exactly. for you to be basically you know found to be insane or or whatever, right? So, um. They're talking about removing your guns from you if you are placed in a temporary 72-hour mental health evaluation hold, okay? And no talk about, you know, what that looks like uh, for how long or if that's permanent or what, right? Expand gun-free zones because we don't have enough of those. Uh, we've got to, you know, since gun-free zones work so well for schools, we now got to expand that to child care facilities and early learning centers, Firearm destruction by Washington State Patrol allows for the destruction of all firearms confiscated by or forfeited to the Washington State Patrol. Um, okay. And require require reporting of lost or stolen firearms. Now, I think that's something that we should all do. Like, if we lose mm-hmm. our guns or have them stolen, like, it's a responsibility incumbent on us as gun owners to report that, I feel. But I don't like laws that require you to do so and make you into a criminal for failing to do so or, or within a certain time frame. You know, imagine you don't, maybe you don't realize for a certain time frame that a gun has been lost. That's possible. All right. Um, but then because someone finds it and they turn it in and now, you know, I just, an honest mistake can very quickly turn into uh, a life changing uh, criminal charge. Right now mm-hmm. we need to be, resp- it's not like it's acceptable to lose guns. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it's you know, I just don't like that idea of criminalizing gun owners uh, over a reporting requirement. Okay, so these are all things that now they are pushing. We we now got to have all of this too after we just passed Initiative sixteen thirty nine, which we were all for. You know this this organization, right? And it was awesome. But now round two. Yeah, it's a toehold, right? I mean, once you once you get established in there and, and you test the waters and you say, hey, the, the populace is good with this. Let's push it a little bit more. Let's see what, what, what they're good on, what they're good with. And maybe we'll get out of the six, you know, or three out of the eight or whatever it is. And then next year, after we can completely continue to bombard them, maybe the next year we push for two more. That's That's the goal. I mean, it's never to stop. It's always to continue further and further because – 
ultimately you cannot affect the change they want without removing the firearms. And so you could add all these different laws and everything, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to kind of chip away, chip away. So eventually people are good with giving up their firearms. Um, and so, you know, we've already been kind of brainwashed into the idea of like handguns are different than rifles. You know, everybody, if you ever think about it, like, why do you have to be um, older to, to purchase a handgun in certain you know, certain areas, um, certain states than, than a rifle or, you know, why are handguns, um, legislate or controlled a little bit differently than, than rifles? Well, you know, if, if, if the second amendment, you know, is ultimate and all that, then, you know, why are we so good with, you know, that, you know, yeah. so it's just what you get used to. And that's a perfect example, man, Th this, the state is going to become, pretty pretty bad for yeah. gun owners jason says so washington state legal weed and boulder colorado le actually colorado legal weed uh it's it's statewide california legal weed is there a connection inquiring minds want to know <laughs> uh it, it, you know it's so true because we we see in in states like washington even oregon uh california uh colorado of course uh nevada now i think has legal well, did they legalize it? No, I don't think they quite did that. But the, anyway, the point is, it's like we're trying to make getting drugs a lot easier. And the city of Denver just passed the, an ordinance a few weeks ago to set up these safe injection sites. So let's have these safe sites where people can come in and shoot themselves up with heroin or whatever, you know. But And, and, and they're not going to be prosecuted. They're not going to have cops sitting around there watching the place. You know, like, okay, so let's make it easier to do drugs and get drugs um, and let's make it harder for law-abiding folks to get guns. It just, you know, there's definitely this disconnect here, and we we definitely see um, something weird with that. You know, I don't care what issue of the of the uh, what side of the issue of the of the drug issue that you're on. I honestly don't care, but it just seems really strange. Like, you know, we we take something that's guaranteed or or protected in the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, and make it this evil thing that we must restrict more and more and more. But let's make it easier for people to screw up their lives with drugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, the the people that are so entrenched in drugs and lose touch with family and reality and be, get involved in the criminal justice system, these are the people that are more likely to be violent, right? I mean, yeah. like it's more likely if you have nothing to live for, if you've been in prison and out of prison, you can't get a job, you're addicted, that you're going to be violent or you're going to commit crimes or you're going to be the people that the, that supposedly these laws would protect. So it's just, it's it's very strange. Yes. I'm with you there, bro. Now guess, get this. Uh, <laughs> Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we could spend a lot of time on this story, uh, but uh, we got to probably move along. But this one's really like I would encourage you all to go review today's episode show notes. Okay, you can find them once this, once this episode is published. Concealedcarry.com forward slash episode two eight one. Okay, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode two eighty one. Because in the show notes will be all of the links to the news stories that we're talking about in this episode. This is one you're going to want to read and kind of dive deep into a little because it may not like really, there's just a little bit to think about here and understand maybe what's going on. 
And the truth of the matter is we maybe, maybe don't know exactly what is going on, but what we do know, and this was a little bit surprising to me, Matthew. Okay, so now there are several states that require you to get permits, basically, or licenses just to own a gun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, New York is definitely that way. Um, New Jersey, I think, has something similar. California, I mean, it's sort of the, I mean, you don't have to maybe have that license, but you got to definitely register things. Illinois definitely had, you know, they have their firearm owner identification cards. Well, Massachusetts has the same, same sort of thing, right? They have a firearm owner's, firearms owner identification card. And it says this, according to the NRA ILA, in Massachusetts, all prospective firearm owners are required to obtain one of these firearm owner identification cards or a license to carry, okay, a permit. Right, you can you need one or the other if you got license to carry, which is not that's a May issue state, right? Massachusetts is not a shall issue, so if you've got a license to carry, you've already jumped through a lot of hoops to get to that point. Both licenses require applicants to submit to significant training requirements and a background check. Moreover, the licenses may are May issue with local law enforcement retaining significant discretion over who or who may not obtain a license. Now, this is they're talking about both the firearm owner identification card and the license to carry. Now, that was news that was what was news to me. I I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." So, to get a firearm license just so you can purchase a gun is a May issue license. Crazy. What? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. How, how is that law still on the books? Uh, maybe it, maybe someone has tried to sue over that. I don't know, but that one is shocking to me. That with a, with something like the Second Amendment, like it, it's one thing to be kind of debatable on the issue of does do concealed carry permits have to be shall issue, right? I, I know how I feel about it. I know how you feel about it. Most of our listeners, I know how you guys feel about it. But it's one thing to debate. Does that is that a requirement by the second amendment that it has to be shall, a shall issue policy to give someone a concealed carry a, a concealed carry permit okay that i can understand debating but for it to be may issue just to get a <laughs> license just to purchase or possess a firearm in a state doesn't, doesn't make sense i didn't yeah. know that is anyone <laughs> in massachusetts can you can you verify this is the nra just like spitting whatever like are they just spitting crap on this or is this really a thing it's i mean what i guess i gotta go look at what the requirements are to to purchase a gun in massachusetts but i was like whoa okay so here basically that's the premise of the rest of the stories it's talking about uh individuals that have applied to receive uh their license to purchase you know a firearm and being denied and not necessarily being denied for what we would think of as legitimate reasons right Mm -hmm. and so yeah, there's a problem here, and that they're trying to bring, they're try, trying to sh- sh- shed some light on that. Yeah, anyway, well, rightfully so. I mean, that, that just it goes in the face of everything that makes sense. I mean, I don't. It, it's just crazy. You need to ask for permission to even be able to buy something that you know is a constitutionally protected right. It is insane. <laughs> for sure, dude. I like this comment from High Caliber Concealed Carry Training, LLC. Has anyone seen a pattern? Oceans make people lose their sensibilities. <laughs> hey, I, I like oceans. I do. But I don't know. These coastal coastal regions, who knows? Matthew, you lived there. <laughs> yeah. I, but I left. <laughs> <laughs> before it went to your head, right? Yeah. Well, maybe I was more sane before. Now I'm less. I don't know. What about Billy Ocean? Is he, is he cool? 
Uh, just, yeah, I, yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? You said you like oceans, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I like <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, it's a cool, cool movie. All right, so um, moving along. Yeah, go go check out the story, okay, that I just told you about, and uh, find the show notes and and do that. It's pretty interesting stuff. New Jersey now, law is allowing gun magazines over ten rounds went to an into effect. The story says set to go into effect. It was from last week. Um, the law went to effect on Monday, December tenth. So, how many of you out there listening are now felons? Because boy, this is this is serious law, right? So they passed this law a while back, and they gave. I guess it was earlier this year. They gave a 180-day deadline for citizens to get rid of higher-capacity magazines when Governor Murphy signed it back in June. So that deadline ended on Monday. All right? Now, you you have to either turn in, modify, or destroy magazines greater than 10-round capacity. Yeah. So many are choosing to take them to... Specialized dealers. Uh, in fact, the founder of RTSP, I've been to RT, RTSP. It's a fine shooting range there in Randolph, New Jersey. Rick Friedman, founder of RTSP, said, overnight, you're turning law-abiding citizens into felons. RTSP is one of those dealers that is taking magazine or gun owners' magazines that are over 10 rounds, and they are you know doing something to them. A lot of times, they're adding some epoxy in the bottom or you know whatever. They're, they're making it so basically that magazine, you cannot fit more than the 10 rounds into the magazine. Now, from experience, I will tell you that anytime you do this, uh, if, if, if it's not done very well, uh, and even when it's done well, I think there's still this risk of variances in performance and quality. Okay, modifying magazines to force them to be reduced below their standard capacity. Uh, what I've seen is some you don't always get, because they're going to err on the side of caution, depending on, on the exact process that they're using, right? Because it has to be permanent. The modification has to be permanent. It's not like you can just add a piece of plastic, like a plug in a shotgun magazine tube. You can't just add something that can be easily pulled out by the by the owner, and then you know, like for it to comply with the law, it has to be modified permanently. That's the issue. And so Jacob's got a couple of magazines for an FN, FNS, I believe, that uh, he had modified here in Colorado to comply with the 15-round limit. And one of those, you can't even get 15 rounds in. In fact, maybe you can't. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. And you run the risk of those magazines no longer performing reliably, mm. right? Because you've now yeah. done something to them that they were not really designed for. That's what that's where that's what people don't get. Like they think, oh well, you know, if you can, you know, the legislators, right? Oh, they can they can go ahead and just have their magazine modified. It's not like they have to throw all this stuff away. But then you run the risk of getting a less reliable device back, and that might be something you're you're trying to depend on for your life. That's an issue. Yeah, it, 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 totally an issue. It, But what I, you know, one thing that I find ironic in right now, maybe not right this second, but um, there, the 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 federal Congress is debating um, legislation, criminal justice reform, right? And part of that is to reform the amount of people that are serving prison sentences, federal prison sentences, and and some uh, some local as well. But they're trying to reduce prison population because we don't want to put nonviolent people, you know? Mm. And so uh, if you don't, if you don't, you know, neuter your magazine to fit this law, you end up 
possibly with 18 months in jail. So think of this. They're trying to re- reduce prison population. So they're, redu- they're releasing drug dealers, people, you know, um, certain right. nonviolent they're, crimes. D- right? They're doing that right here in, in Denver, in yeah, Colorado. Exactly. Same thing. That, that, uh, the Actually, I think it was Governor Hickenlooper that, that said, we're going to look at releasing like thousands uh, that were in, incarcerated over some, you know, lower exactly. level drug charges. But now, let, once again, kind of going back to whoever's comment was about what's going on with all this legalizing a weed and delegalizing or Ill- illegalizing, you know, guns and gun owners. Uh, and this is, a, that's a really interesting point, Matthew. Like, let's, let's put out back on the streets, the, the drug dealers and the drug users. Uh, but let's put back in their place, law abiding gun owners that yeah, may have, they have they- they have a magazine that fits 11 rounds instead of 10. Yeah. Hey, what are you in here for? Oh, I 11 round magazine. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I killed my wife. Oh, that, that seems about right. <laughs> Thanks, Listen Ellen. to this ridiculous statement right here from, uh, let's see, what's the name? New Jersey Attorney General Gerbier Graywall. That's an interesting name. A sensible law to address mass shootings. <laughs> Today, the Court of Appeals upheld the law. Big win for public safety and law enforcement safety. Wow, I didn't know high capacity mags were a law law enforcement safety issue because typically I think Matthew like the unfortunately it was just last night or this morning there was a cop oh shoot yep uh where was that again I know a cop and his canine was also injured Georgia maybe yeah Georgia that's what it was um you know typically it's the first few rounds that's going to get you mm-hmm. right. It's not the 11th. Like, how, how does taking 15-round mags down to 10-round mags suddenly make law enforcement's job so much safer? Doesn't. How does making 10-round mag capacities the law of the land, how does that make schools safer and school shootings less bad? Doesn't. This, 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 goes, against, this, this goes against everything that's happened in the last... 12 months, you know, just a, well, 10 months ago, right? February, Parkland. Wasn't mm-hmm. it the shooter there was using 10 round mags? Yeah. He had like a bunch of these 10 round mags in a bag with him that he carried around and he reloaded several times. That didn't seem to make that much of a difference in Parkland. Nope. Hmm. Unfortunately. That's why I said, listen to this ridiculous statement from this attorney general, a sensible law to address mass shootings and enhance public safety and law enforcement safety. You're a flipping idiot and a tool, sir. I'm sorry. I don't like to resort to name calling <laughs> because I like to have, you know, reasonable and, and, you know, res- respectful debates, but that's a really stupid thing to say. Like, look yeah. at the facts. It, what, you, what you just said counters all, all like recent history. Anyway. Okay. Uh, New Jersey, New Jersey. Boy. Yeah. On to Ohio, where things are looking a little bit better. Um, less awesome than what it could have been, but right. still a win. House Bill 228 goes to the governor's desk. Uh, this actually a week ago it went to the desk, and it still hasn't been signed. What is up with that, Governor Kasich? Get off your hand, you know, sitting on your hands and uh, and put that pen in your hand and sign the line, okay? I don't know why he is, you know, I feel like he's been dragging his feet on this. Well, yeah, he he already made public um, that he will veto anything, any bill 
that uh, any stand your ground bill. So they took out the stand your ground clause. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're not aware, Ohio had the worst self-defense law out of the entire 50 states. You know, you were guilty until proven innocent. You basically had to enter an affirmative defense and prove that you acted in accordance or um, in self-defense. So it wasn't the the other way around where the, where the prosecution had to show that you didn't. Um, so that was in this bill, along with the duty to retreat um, being eliminated. So Ohio would become one of what, 30 some states that have some sort of legislation that's um, uh, stand your ground. Um, it also uh, cleared up um, the uh, pre-trial immunity, um, which wouldn't allow a, a prosecutor to, you know, just charge people uh, out of, you know, knowing that they couldn't get a conviction, but charge them and drag them through court. And it did some other things. Um, Basically, it got it got neutered a little bit, got cut down, and they took out the duty uh, or the stand your ground part, and they they forwarded uh, on the rest. But Kasich said that he will not sign it, um, and so there's kind of like a legal kind of um, thing that's going on where they're proposing an amendment to the to the law that would um, that would kind of make it so Kasich wouldn't be able to sign it in time. Um, before, you know, the new, um, cause he's going out, he's, he's, he's going to be replaced. Um, and so they're trying to time this, but it looks like Kasich will probably veto the bill on Christmas, uh, Christmas day. So, or right, you know, right around Christmas time. So, um, yeah, and it, 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 it sucks because, you know, there was a lot of hope that Ohio would at least get on board um, in the bill. It just got watered down where it did something, some good things. But um, and then Kasich just, you know, he he's he's bidding for his presidential nomination, I guess, and wants to be that that guy that every time you watch him on the stage and at debates, he's like, oh, we just got to bring everybody together. We got to get ideas from this half and this half. And so he doesn't have anything. He just stands in the middle and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to put his name on anything because he knows that it'll be used against him. So that's kind of where it is in Ohio. So stay tuned, I guess. I'm not even sure why he's so worried about it because uh, what is he going to run for president or something? I'll tell you, he's I, he's never going to be president. No, it, it, I know never. that he tried to jump in, you know, to the primaries uh, two years ago, but he he's never going to be president of this country. And uh, the only other reason I can think he would be concerned about this is if he was thinking about switching parties or something. And he had big like. Mm-hmm. Seriously, dude, do you not under, I mean, it just is, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what his logic there is. But so um, I really appreciate I wanted to just share at the end of this article on uh, BuckeyeFirearms.org because uh, I, I appreciate the Buckeye Firearms uh, Organization's um, uh, standpoint or, or kind of their viewpoint on this. Uh, I think it's a very reasonable and I think it's I think what they what they did here is very wise. They said, we realize that this bill is not perfect. No bill ever is. Just consider how flawed the original concealed carry bill was when passed back in 2004. Should we have walked away because it was horribly flawed? We might still be a no concealed carry state had we done that. Instead, we passed the best bill possible at the time, then began working tirelessly to improve the law. Despite its shortcomings, despite the fact they removed the stand your ground 
part of the bill or the, you know, remove the duty or the removing the duty to retreat part from the bill. Uh, It is still an excellent bill, they say here. In time, it will be viewed as one of the most significant bills ever passed to restore your rights. As for duty to retreat, we have not given up and we never will. A majority of legislators join us in that resolve. I just thought that was the last two paragraphs of this article is, is I think the best thing in the whole article. Um, because I can tell you if that was our organization out here in Colorado, Rocky Mountain gun owners, that's not how it'd be handled by Mr. Dudley. Anybody that knows Dudley, Mr. Dudley Brown out here in Colorado runs Rocky Mountain gun owners and has he done some good things? Yes. But I've also seen Dudley blow up. I, I've seen him blow up gun bills that would have expanded gun rights. But because they didn't go far enough, he attacked the sponsors of those bills. And I just I just don't I don't agree with that. I think you know what? You know what the other side, you know what the anti-gunners do every legislative session? They try to take a little more. And a little more, and a little more. Even if it's, even if they can just take an inch, they will take an inch, okay? Because they're playing the long game. But if yeah. we sit here and attack ourselves and within ourselves, we we bicker and we fight and say, "Hey, this is a terrible bill. Like we can't vote for this because it removes such and such clause and it doesn't go far enough." Well, then I, that's why I said I. That's why I said what I said about Buckeye Firearms here. Um, the association, I think did the right thing and they're right in what they said as well. I hope that Ohio at some point in the future will be able to get stand your ground put into the statute. I think that time will come if if we will continue to plod along and keep fighting the good fight. I'm happy for you guys though because it looks like you're going to no longer have to be on the defensive side of things where it comes to self-defense shootings. Right? Yeah. That's what this changes in a big way, and that is a huge win because yeah. up till this time, it meant that in the case of used self-defense, it only required a preponderance of the evidence to decide mm-hmm. whether to pursue a full case against you. Exactly. Right? Whereas most other states, uh, if it was self-defense, the prosecution had to prove beyond a, a reasonable doubt that it was not Self-defense, right? Anyway, San Diego area gun show ends run after three decades. So we talked about this in a, a number of episodes way back. Yep. The point is that the uh, the fairgrounds committee or people or whatever, <laughs> they uh, the board, that's what it is, the board in charge of the fairgrounds voted to, to not basically renew, to not renew their contract to hold the uh, gun show at the fairgrounds. They are still reviewing what they might do. So there's still a chance that they might come back and say, all right, we'll go ahead and allow a gun show to take place, but we're not going to allow gun sales to take place on the fairgrounds. Or it can be an educational only type show. Like you can bring your wares and you can show stuff and you can teach people about what there is and, and whatnot. But yeah, no, no, no sales, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to let everyone know that unfortunately doesn't look like it's a it doesn't look like it's going well in terms of that that long running like three plus decade long show gun show and it doesn't look like that's going to continue going forward at least in the format that everybody loves and cares about. But I want what I wanted to highlight, Matthew, is that part of the organization or or an individual behind pushing for this gun show ban is a woman by the name of Rose Ann Sharp. 
and she yep. is involved in the organization called neveragaincalifornia.org, neveragainca.org. You go to that site, and you'll see right there, big type, right? Gun show contract, not renewed. Like, yes, we got to win. Here's what I found really interesting, Matthew. I was just taking a look at their site. I'm not going to highlight all their anti-gunness. Um, I'm going to actually go down to their mission, which is lower down on the page, and this really stood out to me. Here's the mission of Never Again California. And there's other organizations out there like this, I promise you that. Uh, this is just like the California chapter, if you will, of of a of the, of of other similar grassroots organizations. Which what this is, they say they are a grassroots organization which welcomes all individuals who want to end gun violence through legislation, education, and activism. There are no fees or dues. We adopted the Never Again slogan from the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. We support the student cry for moral leadership. We support the end of gun shows. We believe in the first and second amendments. Yeah. Contrast that with a statement from what was her name? Roseanne Sharp. Sharp. She says, I'm feeling that the community has come together and made a statement about the gun shows uh, being banned from the, from the fairgrounds there. She says the pro the proliferation and sale of guns and ammunition does not belong on public property. Oh, yeah, right. So it's just, it's, it, you know, they, they'll always throw in, well, I'm pro second amendment. It's like, you know, no, you're not. You can't just say that. So you sound like you're trying to have a conversation about the topic, but you're so on one side of it that it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's like a, you know, a neo-Nazi being like, oh, I'm all for, you know, integration, but I'm just for segregation over here. And it's like, no, dude, like you can't say that. It doesn't negate like what you actually are standing for. They don't want guns on public property. That's weird. Um, it's, and then you say you're, you're for the Second Amendment. It just doesn't make sense. So these little, you know talking sound bits they throw out there so somebody will be like well yeah she's trying to be you know br bring both sides together and make common sense laws so because obviously she said she's for the second amendment well uh, you can't you can't be for the second amendment if you think gun shows are ruining the state when you have places where people can't even go because there's so much drugs and crime and filth and disease that you that's okay we're cool with that but we can't allow businesses to set up a little table at this this venue that's been going on for 30 years to sell firearms legally it doesn't make sense but that's yep. why we covered it <laughs> yep it's just so amazing to me that they they say right there on their site we are pro first and second amendment but uh at the same time apparently there's an issue with allowing something that is lawful, mm -hmm. right, in the Constitution. But how dare we allow that to happen on a public on public property? <laughs> wow, Weird. such a such a contrasting statement. And <laughs> and I you know like clearly has some uh, you know somewhat of a dichotomy dichotomy to solve there within themselves. I don't think they see or realize that yet. Nor will they probably. Next story. Um we're going to jump now to two injured when restaurant worker shoots customer who ran out on bill, police say. 
Mm. This is under our do not do this yeah. <laughs> section of stories, okay? So this is quite the story out of DeKalb County, uh, Georgia. And basically, it's a it's a it's an Asian restaurant, a Chinese, I think, restaurant. And a customer, apparently they tried to pay for their bill, but the card, I think, got denied. It didn't work or something. So they then decided to just walk out of the restaurant. Now... Clearly, we don't have all the details. Like, did they just suddenly say, well, screw this, see you later? Or were they like walking out to the car to get some other, you know, method of payment? I don't know. But uh, it, that doesn't really matter because what happened next is pretty pretty crazy. So when the customer walked out of the restaurant, two employees followed them out. And there was a altercation out. There was basically an argument outside in the parking lot of the restaurant. They're trying to get the man, I think it's a man, to pay for his food. Apparently, he's saying no or I can't, my card didn't work, whatever it is. I have no other money. I don't know. I don't know what the argument's about. But they're having an argument about him leaving and not paying for his meal. And at some point, it gets a little out of hand. <laughs> uh, it may have come to, sh- to pushing and shoving. I don't know. What Did it say anything here about that? Yeah, that's what they said, it, that they start fighting um, in the parking lot over this you know, unpaid tab. Yeah. Um, and then it says, he said his relatives had no, sh- no choice but to shoot the man. So the, the people <laughs> that were struggling with the guy, he didn't have the firearm. It was another person who intervened on behalf of their family who was fighting with this guy who, uh, yeah. you know, stiffed them on a $5 bill or whatever. Yeah. Well, they don't say what it is, but, um, so yeah, I, <sighs> here's a, here's a very important, uh, statement from this news story. Okay, and this is reported on w, WSBTV.com. Uh, it says here that after they started fighting, like I said, it, doesn't, it didn't really say very clearly w- what the extent of that fighting was. It's just as they started fighting. But it says that when that happened, the res- one of the restaurant employees went back into the restaurant, grabbed a gun, then came back and shot the customer. Mm-hmm. I can just about promise you that in almost any defense case, like that's going to be an issue when it's like we have a fight and that fight, I mean, it's hard to say what that fight looked like. Um, could you be justified to use deadly force in a hands only involved fight? Yeah, it's po- Yeah, it's possible. That happens sometimes. Um, I'm not sure why this man decided he had to go and get his gun. Uh, maybe it was really, maybe it's worse than what we thought, but I don't know. Prosecutors are leaning towards you know, they've charged the man that shot the customer. Yeah. I I mean, it sucks, man. I I feel for the people, you know, you're working, that's your business. People are, and it probably happens a lot. I I mean, I know it happens a lot. Um, People bounce out on checks and stuff like that, but you can't kill somebody over it. You know, that's the thing. It's like, you got to know where to draw your line, where, what is my life worth? You know, Mm -hmm. do I want to get involved in this fight over a bill? You know, um, or do I just go out there and get a license plate number and call the police and say these people took off? I mean, the fact is, is you're, you know, whether this person died as a result of the fight or whether this person shoots the person and goes to prison for the rest of their life, their life is going to be 
for all intents and purposes, over. I mean, over this bill and them saying, I'm not going to let it happen. And it's just like, pick your battles, man. This is not the one to either die or go to prison or even end up shooting somebody and like and maybe get off on a technicality where, yeah, they're going to say, yeah, he used, you know, appropriate force. We can't really yeah. prove that he didn't. And you have to live with the fact that, yeah, I shot this person, might have killed him over, you know, a $7, you know, Chung Fu yeah. Main or whatever the <laughs> Chung Lo Fu Main, yeah. Lo Main, <laughs> Chung Fu Main, whatever. I don't I've know, never man. heard of that one. I'll, try to I'll come have up to try that the next time I go to the to the restaurant there. Spicy, get it with an egg roll. Spicy. <laughs> High Caliber uh, says, "Is it just me or are people losing their tempers way too quickly these days?" Uh, I think people have lost tempers for a long, you know, long time. I is it more so now? I, I it does seem that way sometimes. I will admit that for sure. So, um, you know, what I wanted to highlight about this story is like, I get the desire that, you know, you just about any business owner wants to stop people from walking out the door with merchandise, which essentially that's what you're doing when you walk out of a restaurant, not paying, um, at the same time, like you got to know when to call it quits. Like when just, just to just take it with your losses, man, like it it happens even in our business, concealedcarry.com with the products we sell, uh, people take advantage of us all the time. And there are, we know it. We could tell by you know our customer service interaction with them and what they say and what they do. Um, we can tell when when we're being taken. People protest credit card charges. You know they pay for stuff on our site they, and they protest uh, for what we know to be you know illegitimate reasons. It happens. It's it's just something that people do, unfortunately, and especially in this day and age. And um, there's a lot of times we just have to you know shrug and say. Oh, well, you know, cost of doing business. It's no different. I mean, Walmart gets stuff stolen from their stores every day across, you know, in thousands of stores across this this country. And unfortunately, it's cost of doing business and it raises prices for everybody else. But that's the way it goes. So if you're that restaurant, yeah, you know, you got to know when to call it quits. Uh, it's not worth to get in, even into the, the smallest of physical altercations over a 10, 15, 20, even $50. In fact, it's not even worth it for a $200 bill because you know what? If you have some sort of lawsuit or anything that happens, it's going to cost you way more than all the food in the world they could have ordered at one time sitting at that restaurant. Yeah. Call the police. If they can get there and handle it, fine. Um, Otherwise, you got to let them go. All right. Pretty. By the way, in the course of that altercation, the person that did the firing actually, actually hit their fellow employee as well as the customer. So that we could also go down the, the road of know your, your backstop, you know, know, you know, your muzzle control and discipline and all that. And make sure you have a clean shot. If you're going to take a shot, uh, cause, uh, they, they, for whatever reason felt like they needed to shoot the customer. They, they determined that customer was a threat and they also hit their fellow employee. Another story suspected thief dies trying to steal carjack from homeowner. So, yeah, we put it in the don't do this category because here's how the story goes. Basically, at 6.30 a.m. in the morning, this happened in San Antonio, Texas. This according to KSAT.com, Channel 12. A man heard, uh, basically, here he noticed that someone was trying to steal his car jack. It was underneath a car. The homeowner confronted the suspect with a gun. A struggle ensued. Probably because the homeowner realized, oh, crap, like I can't actually shoot him. Well, maybe, you know, I don't know. It gets a little bit interesting because it's in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That statute still is a little unclear to me. I need to go research uh, uh, 
the part in Texas's statute where you may be able to use, I say may, cause I like, to me, the concept is, is, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I want to do more research on that where you may use deadly force to protect your property. Okay. But either way, this person went out with a gun to confront the thief and a struggle ensued. Okay. They were unable to shoot them for whatever reason. And, uh, then, uh, that, that thief managed to get into the vehicle and take off. And they, as they did so, the homeowner fired at them as they left the scene and apparently struck the, the guy and he then crashed the vehicle into a tree. <laughs> All yeah. this over a carjack and or a car. It's weird because I thought the carjack was under the car, but then he was able to steal the car. Normally a carjack's under a car because it's not drivable, but I don't know. Maybe it's a different car he's talking about. Who knows? Yeah, I... I don't know. I don't know how much more we can add to this story. <laughs> I mean, on face value, everybody who has half a brain is going to say this is this is not the fight I'm going to get in, involved in over a carjack. I mean, people got to be got to be smarter. I mean, your life is worth so much more. Other people's lives are worth more, even if they're trying to steal a carjack. I mean, it's just not worth it. It's crazy, yeah. but. Like everyone's saying, people are less less willing to to turn the other cheek or to, you know, give someone the benefit of the doubt or forgive somebody or something. I'm not saying be a pacifist and let people walk all over you. I'm just saying, you know, you have to choose when you're gonna put your life on the line. And if your life is worth a what forty, fifty, sixty dollar carjack, Harbor Freight, you know what I mean? <laughs> like if that's all you value your life at, then. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what it is, you know? I don't know. Yeah. All righty. Let's get into some justified saves. Now, there's a couple of these, though, too, where there's some interesting lessons to be learned. All right. So this first one comes out of the Fresno area, uh, California. Fresno County Sheriff's Office is the jurisdiction where this happened. At. In fact, if you see the picture in the story, it looks like it's kind of in a rural area um, where this happened. I don't know. We see a dirt road and, like, fields or something. So... Um, apparently there's some sort of construction site where some work was being done because what happened is the story goes a man who was, uh, showing up to pay, <laughs> by the way, this must be like a, a legal under the table operation because he <laughs> says the contractor, began, he, he showed up to distribute cash to the construction <laughs> workers. Okay. Uh, I've worked in the construction industry, so I know how it goes. All right. <laughs> um, Apparently, somebody was expecting him to show up with a bunch of cash because there were three hooded men that also showed up at the, at the exact time that he was coming to pay these construction workers. They pulled up in a black Dodge Durango and they went to grab, and they were armed and they went to grab money from the contractor. Well, at that point, one of the armed men, um, he slipped and dropped his gun. And a nearby worker grabbed the weapon and then shot him in the leg once and twice in his backside. Other workers jumped on the bleeding suspect while the other two workers jumped back in the SUV and began to speed away. The worker who shot the suspect then unloaded the rest of the ammo at the fleeing suspect. <laughs> like, if the story had stopped before I said that last <laughs> sentence, like, it'd be like, wow, perfect. Good yeah. job, buddy. Like, you, you did awesome. <laughs> Uh, but then he continued, it says he unloaded the rest right. of the, it's like, I don't know what kind of gun this was, but imagine it had a 
10 or 12 or 15 round, well, it's California, 10 round magazine. Okay, right. so it's reasonable to say it's a 10 round magazine. So he he may have fired three shots at the suspect, right? One in the leg, twice in the backside, and then unload seven more shots at least at the vehicle as it speeds away. It's like you're at the range and it's about to close or something. You're like, ah, oh, I got, got half a magazine, <laughs> just magazine dumping towards the general vicinity of the vehicle. <laughs> I, and I know we're laughing about it, but I mean, come on, like, it's so true. Like we see this sort of thing happen from time to time. Now it doesn't say in the story that at least that I recall that police are charging any of the individual, you know, the individuals that were just, you know, that they started out as innocent, right? Like these are either the workers that were there to get paid or the contractor that brought the money to pay them. Like no one's getting charged. Okay. So when, that's when we were talking earlier about uh, a prosecutor's discretion, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, charges could still potentially come out of this, but uh, this is a mistake, okay? This, unless, unless the suspects, we know they were armed. Yes, they were, they were speeding away from the scene of the crime. If they were shooting at the innocent people as they were leaving, okay, I could see that. But it doesn't say that. It just says that he unloaded at the vehicle as they sped away. Okay, I know that there's some people who will be like, well, we... They knew they were armed. Like, we don't know what they were going to do. Well, you don't get to shoot people because you don't know what they're going to do. I've seen that logic attempt to be used where people are like, well, I didn't, you know, oh, we had a lot of comments to the story, Matthew, a few weeks back uh, about the guy that uh, shot the man in his house and then kind of the, the, the burglar started to turn and go away and he shot him again. Mm. And people are like, well, he might have just reached around the corner and grabbed a gun or he might have had a buddy. Well, there's a lot of things that might have happened, but you have to perceive a threat, determine it's a threat, and respond to that threat and stop the threat. And when the threat turns and leaves or or whatever, like that should it, it should bring to your mind some question that, oh, like maybe I should stop shooting the threat because he may not no long, he may no longer be a threat. Like we don't get to use deadly force because of what we think might happen or what could happen. Because there's a lot of times where I think something could happen, but usually does not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I'm off my high horse now. No, that's totally right on. I agree. Yeah, what did you think of the story, dude? Uh, it's a doozy, right? Yeah, I mean. I'm imagining maybe the where the construction workers are from might not be so strict or may have a more liberal approach to shooting at robbers. I don't know. Maybe can't that use that is... L word on the podcast, bro. <laughs> no, not liberal in the sense you. of Democrat. I'm just teasing you. Yeah, but no, yeah. no, I, I hear you, bro. Um, all right, so crazy story. Now, here's another one. And, and we actually get into... Uh, there's actually two stories here that both have similar elements to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, I was just like, what are the odds that we have two stories like this in a week <laughs> that both have the same same thing that happens in them? Now, you'll get what I'm getting at here in just a moment. The Vindicator is a newspaper, I guess, or publication, vindy.com, V-I-N-D-Y.com, says, uh, resident pistol whips intruder. It's a very short story. Youngstown police say a man pistol-whipped an attempted burglar at his West Judson Avenue home Thursday night. The victim told police he was shutting the back door of his house when a male came up from behind with a gun. During their struggle, the gun discharged two or three times. The victim was able to disarm the suspect and pistol-whipped him until he fled. Right on. 
I mean, I think there's a pretty good example, like exactly of what you were saying. Like you, you use deadly force against a threat that is likely to cause you death or serious bodily harm. So he disarms the guy from apparently probably what his weapon that, you know, obviously he was probably more physically stronger than this person who was attacking him or had better skills or self-defense skills or whatever. But at that point, he gets the gun. He feels this person is no longer a you know, a threat as far as great bo- going to cause me great bodily harm or, or death. And so he doesn't shoot him. He beats him with the gun, um, <laughs> which may or may not be considered, you know, assaulting with a deadly weapon because, I mean, it's no different than hitting somebody with a hammer, right? I mean, but yeah. um, probably in, in the whole context of everything, they probably say, you know, it's a good thing he didn't shoot him. He's hitting him with the gun, but probably that was appropriate for the level of force that he needed to to use to stop this threat, you know, this, this confrontation still, the guy eventually runs off. He doesn't unload the magazine as he runs off. (laughs) You know, I think it's probably reasonable. I think, you know, you put this in front of a jury and people are going to find his actions reasonable. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this, uh, I found this interesting because most people would take a gun from the bad guy would probably end up using it, like firing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We, we, we've covered a number of stories like that. Uh, I remember in a uh, basically an academy type class, uh, law enforcement, uh, where we talked about disarming disarms, and you don't you don't disarm your bad guy. First of all, you should have your own gun on you, right? But you don't disarm your bad guy and then turn his gun around and use it against him uh, because you don't know what you don't know. I mean, any any longtime law enforcement officer or a prosecutor, or whatever, if you've ever been in an evidence warehouse, for instance, and just seen some of the guns that these <laughs> thugs carry, like, you don't, I mean, you could pull that trigger, it might blow up in your face. <laughs> right. So, uh, I remember being taught, like, you don't use, you don't, you don't use their gun. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if this guy, like, had some sort of training, and that's what he determined, like, I'm not going to use this gun, so I'm going to pistol whip him with it instead, uh, or if that's just what he decided he needed to do, but... uh Anyway, next story though here, this is where I told you we have two stories here with the same element in it, and that's the this idea of pistol whipping. Man shot pistol whipped during north side. Oh shoot, that window just closed on me all of a sudden. Not sure what happened. Uh why don't you continue the story for us, Matthew? Yes. Indianapolis, Indiana, man was reportedly shot during an attempted robbery Wednesday night on the north side. Around 9 p.m. authorities were dispatched to the thirty seven hundred block of Graceland on the report of an attempted robbery uh police say a man was coming back from running errands when two masked men shot and pistol whipped him his wife reportedly fired a shot to scare them off um two children were inside the home don't know how that plays a role because it doesn't appear as these people are trying to get inside the home um the man the man was shot in the leg and was taken to uh something uh, hospital. hospital yeah <laughs> his condition is stable i i've i've Assume the man who was shot is the victim here, uh, the not one of the robbers, because the mass men are reportedly fled. If you see anything, call crime suppers. Um, yeah, I mean, this kind of sucks. Um, he's pistol whipped. He's shot at or shot um, pistol whipped. So obviously it's close proximity. Um, and then the woman, the wife, fires a shot, which, you know, not – at them, it was intended to scare them off. It doesn't say anything about firing, you know, at the, yeah, at the threat. That, we're just reading what it says, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it was maybe like a, 
shot into the air or into the ground or something like that, which brings to, to, to question. We had this a couple times now, I think the past couple, couple podcasts, um, about talking about contact shots and shooting at people who are involved in a fight. And, um, you know, maybe she didn't feel like she could strike the the person with the firearm because he was in proximity to her husband, didn't want to shoot her husband. Maybe she didn't want to leave the home, go out too far because kids were inside the home. I don't know. But um, it brings to, you know, just to uh, should bring to thought about how do you engage if you're trying to defend a loved one who is involved in a, you know, a close quarters fight uh, with somebody with a firearm. So, yep. Yeah. You got it, buddy. I just found it interesting that, like I said, in one week we have these two stories that mention pistol whipping. In one <laughs> case, the good guy is the one that does the pistol whipping. In the other case, it's the bad guy. Uh, good good on this man's wife for being ready uh, and willing to step in and defend her man. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's the kind of wife I'd like, you know. Well, yeah. I, I hope I, I hope that's who <laughs> I have backing me up. <laughs> I think so. Anyway, uh, all right, next story. We've got a couple more here, and we'll wrap up for today's episode. High intruder, and referring to this intruder being on drugs, it says likely high on hallucinogens. Uh, high intruder meets armed homeowner in Caribou, and this happened in Maine. According to NewsCenterMaine.com, a 27-year-old man chose the wrong home to trespass into on Tuesday. Police said they got a call around 3.30 a.m., Tuesday from a homeowner on uh, from a homeowner reporting that a man had tried to get into his house. He told police that he had the intruder held at gunpoint. Here's the story. The homeowner told police he, he heard someone trying to get into his house from an attached garage. So he grabbed his gun and went out to find the intruder in the garage. Police said officers arrived and found <clears throat> the man who they believed had entered the garage and pounded on the door trying to get into the house, which woke up the homeowner. And they determined he was under the influence of some type of hallucinogenic ju- drug at the, type of the time of the incident. So, I mean, I, I, I think in, in the end, like this, this, there's a reason this is the justified save story, right? This man had someone who's trying to intrude into his home and he, he had a gun, was able to defend himself, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, he's not going to be charged with anything apparent as, as far as we can tell from this story. Okay, there's not anything he did necessarily wrong as far as the law was concerned. Uh, we have to be careful at times holding people against their will, uh, depending on the state you're in, depending on exactly how statute is worded. Uh, we want to avoid being charged with kidnapping or you know that sort of thing, right? So, but this guy had committed a crime. He'd broken into a home, at least into the garage and was trying to get into the home. The man used a gun to keep him at bay and hold him there until police arrived. But what I'd like to highlight is the tactical error or mistake that he made in the first place, which was what Matthew? Probably going into the garage, um, to, to, to confront or to find this person. Um, you know, I, I, for me, I'm thinking you read at the last line of the story, it says that the person was charged charged with what? Criminal, Crim- tra- criminal trespass. trespass. He wasn't yeah. charged with a criminal trespass. He wasn't charged with a, an assault or attempted burglary or anything that would that would rise to the level that you would 
assume that you could shoot somebody for, right? It's not a, it's not a felony. Yes. They're breaking into your garage, trying to get into your home, but ultimately what the crime is, is it's a, at that point is a criminal trespass. So you're going out to, to try to hold this person at bay over a criminal trespass. Mm -hmm. Now you, you, you likely have the legal justification to do that, um, in this situation, but you definitely get into a, an iffy a problem where you go out and you're putting yourself at risk going into a garage where you don't know if it's one person, two people, you don't know if they're armed, what what the status is, and you're safe inside your home. Um, it, it looks like he called the police because the police arrived on scene. So it doesn't, you know, it seems like maybe he called the police and went out there at the same time. But my, just my opinion, what I would do is I wouldn't, go out into the garage. I call the police. Hey, some dude's banging on my garage door. I don't know how he got in the garage. I have a gun. If he comes into my home, I'm likely to shoot him. I have a wife and my, my daughter in the home. I don't know what this yeah. dude's doing. He's not there. Welcome. Um, I probably wouldn't go out in my garage to confront him. Here's the tactical error, right? And we cover this extensively in our, uh, uh, home defense course, complete home defense still available by the way, for sale. If you haven't purchased a copy, Sorry, plug. Concealedcarry.com forward slash, I think it's complete home defense. I think that bit, that's the link, I think. But the tactical error is that, look, you know you've got somebody trying to get into the home, trying to break into the home. You could tell because he's trying to kick in the door from the garage. Uh, which, by the way, first tactical error was potentially, we don't know for a fact, but potentially the he, the homeowner failed to secure his garage properly, right? Now it doesn't. That's not to say this guy wouldn't have just gone to a different door or window and tried to get in that way, right? But the fact that he was somehow able to get in the garage uh, lends me to think that maybe the garage was not as well secured as it should have been. And a lot of times people don't even lock the door from the garage into the house, right? So mm -hmm. anyway, it sounds like the door at least between the garage and the house was locked, so that's good. But then, like what we teach in the complete home defense course is you want to you, you are you your job is to find. Uh, your tactical advantage, right? As far as you know where the bad guy is, you know where he's going to come from. So position yourself in the home in a way that defends, where you're able to effectively defend yourself and your family, where you've got good cover and you've got a position of advantage where you're forcing them to come to that fatal funnel of the doorway, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. you call you you get cops on the phone right away, and maybe they'll get there in time to take care of the situation for you where you are, your, your legal and civil uh, liability is greatly reduced or you have now taken a position where you have the advantage and if they breach, you can drop them quickly and effectively. But as yeah. soon as you open that door and you go out, you don't know what you're going to find and they could be lying in wait, right? They could be just around the, the, the corner of the door or whatever it is it's dark. You may not be able to see as well. You know, there's just so many things that go wrong as soon as you go out that door. So that's that. It's not even a legal question to talk about with this story. It's a question of tactics, and the 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 poor tactic used here is to actually go out instead of take up a good solid position where you have the advantage and uh, you're able to resolve that situation if it proceeds to the next step. And that next step would be that guy actually bre breaching. And I know some people out there would disagree and say, well, I, I want to prevent them from breaching into the house in the first place, you know, or, you know, so that's why I went out to solve the problem there. Well, you're just 
tactically, that's not very sound advice. So not a legal question, a tactical one. Think about this. If you had a castle with a moat around it and a a drawbridge and somebody was trying to storm your castle, would you not keep your drawbridge up or would you say, well, I want to keep them from storming our castle, so I'm going to let the drawbridge down and then go out and confront them? That's that's basically what you're doing. You're opening up an access point to your home that was not able to be breached prior to that. So I, I... you know, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, you know, you, you, tactically, you got to think um, yep. better than that. And finally, we're covering a story from Metairie, uh, Louisiana. <laughs> Took me a second <laughs> there. Uh, which is basically New Orleans, uh, west side of New Orleans. Woman there fatally shot her Tulane law student husband. So we got a guy who is a law student, law school student. I mean, this dude's studying the law, but apparently he was breaking the law. We'll, we'll explain why in a moment. At Tulane, which is a you know pretty decent, pretty decent university, in self defense against abuse, according to the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office. A woman fatally shot her husband, it says, this is according to the advocate.com, as he beat her and tried to strangle her in their home on Friday. Investigators did not book her with a crime after questioning her and in, in investigating the situation here. Her her husband, named Ian Mastin, age 27, was a law student at Tulane University. Apparently, he was known, even though the woman had not disclosed this type of this, this abuse to law enforcement, friends, or family. Apparently, there was a history because she provided a significant amount of corroborating evidence to back her statements about the well-documented history of physical and uh, psychological abuse that her husband had dealt towards her. I, first of all, I feel really bad for this woman because mm-hmm. she should never have had to go through this type of abuse in the first place. Secondly, I feel bad because it, she had to resolve it finally by killing her husband. Like I guarantee you, the fact that she is even still in that relationship is because she loves that man. Yeah. Even even with his fault, even with the abuse that he, you know, was was doing towards her, uh, and yeah, okay, I know someone out there's gonna be like, well, not all women stay in relationships just because of love, but uh, you know, they may feel like they're forced or somehow uh, required to stay in the relationship, uh, or that by trying to get out of that relationship may put them at further je- jeopardy. Like, I get that, okay, like, but the point is, chances are, she still loves this. She loves this man, right? So I feel bad because she's had to now kill him. To for a legitimate reason, he's abusing her substantially, and according to this, he was beating her and trying to choke her. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's legitimate use of deadly force. Yeah, um, I, I think one thing that I I got out of this is um, you know we talk often about uh, domestic violence restraining orders and filing police reports. Um, even if they're, you know, nobody gets arrested and things like that, it's documentation. Um, these types of things, restraining orders, yes, it's a piece of paper. It's not going to protect you against somebody, but what it does do is even if that, that restraining order is lapsed or whatnot, it creates a pattern of, of, of this person's behavior, right? So, um, it shows a pattern and, if God forbid you do end up having to use force against your spouse or, or boyfriend or whatever who has been abusive and you don't have family that you've talked to or you don't have pictures or you don't have a, a diary that's documented this and it, it becomes 
not like I'm not saying that it's impossible, but what I'm saying is it's a slam dunk or it's much better for you if you can say, look, this has been going on. I mean, the police show up. Yeah, we've had calls out to this house all the time. We know this guy's violent, yeah. you know. So I think if there is somebody listening who's a victim of like crimes like, you know, a victim of stuff like that, you know, make sure you document it with somebody, whether it's a family member, or diary, something. Um you know, police, because if, if God forbid it happens to come to this point, um, it, it just, it shows a pattern of violence with this person. So, yeah. and, and, and don't be afraid to get help. Um, I know it's easier said than done and it's hard, it's hard as me as a man saying this, right. But there's also spousal abuse that goes the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many times where, uh, spouses or partners, uh, uh, for whatever reason, they, they fear, and it could be fear of, you know, like I said, they, they still love that person and they, they feel like they, they can, or they want to try to solve this person's abusive nature, um, without having to involve the loss to where now that husband or spouse or whomever is now going to be charged and put in jail. Uh, like, like that's also completely understandable that you don't want that to be the way it's got to go for your spouse. Um, I do want to provide just a little bit of caution too, by the way, uh, lest anybody read into what we're saying about this particular case the wrong way. And that is that you need to be careful that if you're in this kind of situation and you think that you might, if you're thinking you're going to take steps or measures to protect yourself or defend yourself, that's fine. In fact, I'm proud of this woman for apparently doing that very thing to where it got to a point where she felt she needed to use deadly force. She did. And I'm proud of her for finally being able to do that or or doing that when it got I don't know maybe this is the first time that he ever went so far as to try to choke her right and she went whoa this is not just uh slapping me around or whatever it is like he's actually trying to kill me now and so she used deadly force like but anyway she did it I'm proud of her for doing that because she did what she had to do to protect herself but don't get fooled into thinking that if you're in that kind of abusive relationship that it's okay to wait for an opportunity to shoot or kill that that person, right? Because that doesn't comply with the requirement to be imminent. And I know even, even if there's this history of abuse, and even if it just happened yesterday, imminent is not defined as being yesterday or five hours ago. Imminent is like now, okay? And, that's, and I say this because there have been a few cases. I've, I've followed a few of them. It's been a while, but there was a case, I think, here in Colorado where a woman uh, claimed self-defense because she was in a a very abusive relationship, but she waited until the man went to sleep and then, like, killed him in his sleep. She Mm. was charged, right? It's like, and I'm sure the prosecutor in that kind of situation is like, I feel so bad because, like, you, you you could tell the situation this woman was in, and it drove her to this. Now, she, by the way, she got lenient, you know, she was... She, she was given lenience in the case because that all factored in, but she was still charged and I think still convicted of, a, of you know, not necessarily murder, but of a lesser charge. Um, but it, because of the history, but it came down to the fact that, I mean, it's not an imminent situation to wait for the person to go to sleep or for some other opportunity to use that force and, and, and to uh, end it that way. So anyway. you remember Lorena Bobbitt? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 
cautionary oh, I just tales. realized the camera was just on you. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, well, I was talking all that time. People were watching you pick your nose or something. Oh, um, <laughs> so that wraps it up for us today, folks. Uh, kind of a long one here today. A lot of stories to cover um, for a reason. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed uh, the content in today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed these stories. Hopefully you got something out of it and learned something from it. Um, we're going to let you go, but a reminder of our 12 days of Christmas giveaway that's going on, head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash 12 days, download our mobile app, make sure you're getting notifications and hopefully you'll be the next lucky winner and we'll be announcing the next winner of today's, uh, that'll be at 3 PM is just an hour and a half from now, 3 PM out in each day, uh, until the 21st, I think it is when the, uh, 12 days of Christmas uh, giveaway ends. Oh, that'd be the last, I think the last prize winner will be announced on the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, and then also check out the 2018 Traveler's Guide to the Fire and Laws of 50 States, and you can pick up a copy of those drastically marked down for price, uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash law guide, L-A-W-G-U-I-D-E. Matthew, thank you for being on the show with me today. Of course, man. Thanks for having me and uh, all the listener comments were awesome today. So yeah, man. appreciate that. For sure. For sure. So with that, folks, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.